uh, is uh, uh, put forth as God's prophet to give them the message. And in verse 8 it says, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Now you got to think about that too. God's telling them, build my temple, rebuild it, right? Uh, I preserved a remnant of you people to come back from that place out of captivity. Did you not learn anything? Build my temple, he says, because they had taken a 16-year break. Now, uh, I started going to college uh, as a young airman in 1984 when I first got to Dallas Air Force Base. And I had a plan. I'd mapped out a plan on paper, the classes I needed to take for the degree I wanted, and I was going to accomplish that in five years. And it would take me five because I was working full time. And so started off strong, taking three classes a semester, working the, uh, the, the uh, swing shift out on the base, working hard. It's hard work, you know, especially out in that hot sun down in Texas. And then taking classes, I can remember once uh, taking three classes at McMurray University, where I first started out, uh, working a part-time job at Dairy Queen, working a full-time job with the Air Force out on the flight line, and we had a baby at home with colic. And I can remember walking around the wee hours of the night with the baby in this arm screaming, bloody murder. Oh, you, I mean, you've probably heard it. A baby with colic is horrible, right? And a textbook in this hand with this eye shut because it was stressful, you know. Uh, probably sleeping like three or four hours a day like old Larry King, you know, and getting by on that. So uh, so I, I said, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a one semester break and help you out, help around here with the baby and stuff, because i got to keep that part-time job to keep the school going and everything. And so um, that, one month, that one semester break turned into a five-year break. And then I ran into a fellow at the shopette on base. He's all dressed up real slick. And I was like, hey, man, hey, buddy, what's the occasion? He's like, I'm graduating tonight. He was getting his bachelor's degree. And he and I started out together in the first classes together. And I was like, oh, this this is where I would be had I not uh, allowed that one semester break to turn into this five-year break. And then I immediately went back, went back to school and uh, got to work on finishing that. Um, and uh, in case you, you know, if anyone within the hearing of this feels like I'm boasting about going to school and getting a degree and everything, I'll just let you know how many degrees I have. I have 98.6 degrees. So, and uh, especially during these times, you'll be really glad to hear that today too, right? All right. So top that. <laughs> so look here. Uh, Haggai came back and he told these people, roll up your sleeves or, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I think Haggai, I, I sense that he was uh, more along the line. He was, remember, the prophets were the preachers of their times. Uh, they had a contemporary message that was the primary message in all the prophecies. In all, in all the, the prophets, the books of the prophets we read, you have, you have to study their contemporary message to the people they were dealing with at that time, right? Um, and so his message to them was and I had said roll up your sleeves uh, I think Haggai was uh, the quality of character that was more of a let's roll up our sleeves we need to get to work and build this temple and when you read Ezra you'll see some of that too uh, with Haggai <clears throat> uh, being pensioner in, in Ezra so uh, in verse 6 where uh, well in verse 5 um, we'll back up to verse 4 I'm going to keep doing this as I'm looking at it um, okay, beginning with verse 3, he said, 
Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Okay, the paneled houses at the time was kind of like a purple robe. Uh, it was a, it was a, a, you know, opulence. It was a sign of opulence and, and doing very well for yourself, right? And so the people themselves were living in paneled houses that they had built for themselves during this period of uh, 16 and a little more years since they'd come back uh, since they had been preserved as a remnant to come back and rebuild the temple. They built houses for themselves, but they were not building the temple. And he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Uh, now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, and it's important to remember there in verse 4 where he said, For this temple to lie in ruins. The temple lie in ruins. They just... Uh, worked on the foundation that was all now therefore says the lord of hosts consider your ways we see it again then he describes their ways to them you've sown much and bring in little you eat but do not have enough you drink but you are not filled with drink you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes so, uh, yeah, you, you're living in paneled houses. You're doing well. You have been provided for richly by guess who? Guess who provides? Yeah, we know the answer. God does, right? So God is providing them with much. Uh, and uh, there are people all over this planet who understand even better than we do ourselves how wealthy we are right here uh, who have been provided much and perhaps even live in paneled houses you know after i studied this i went home and i uh, there are some panels and i was like you know i got some panels here that makes you think about your your offering does it not that makes you think about i'm i'm not i yeah i'm talking about money i'm talking about the money we put an offering plate or electronically or however you do it but i'm talking about our offering of ourselves to the body of Christ and to the world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. So thinking about those things, right? Um, it's hard to study Haggai uh, and to pay attention while you're doing that and to study it intently and not increase your offering as a result of that study. How do you do it? I mean, how do you read Haggai and study that and then you don't see a, a, a percentage of change in your offering, both monetarily and uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, right? Um, so when you look at this, you've been blessed with much, but you never have enough. It's like, <laughs> you know, here in America, uh, especially now with this online stuff, I personally am not an online shopper, Right? Um, but you know, especially nowadays with, uh, with how incredibly blessed and rich we are living in our opulent paneled houses, uh, and you walk through there and you look around and you see the things uh, I'm sorry, I see the things that I have, my possessions. And I remember back to when uh, I was a young airman and Melissa and I were newlyweds and we were in our one bedroom apartment that was about 40 square feet. Right. And, uh, and then I walk around in my place now, I look at my house, I look at my possessions, the things I've accumulated over the years, and, and I'm like, how can I not, how can I ever 
not be satisfied. And now what do I need to do? Yeah. Because God says, you never have enough. I've been blessed. You've been blessed with all of this. I provide and you never have enough. Yet my temple lays in ruins. You are never satisfied. There you have. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, God works on the heart, right? He works on the heart. And uh, it's interesting to me. And we had mentioned up in verse four where he said, and this temple lies in ruins because when you get down to verse 7, you start reading. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Is that not what we pray for in every prayer? In every prayer, we, play, we pray in some form or another that God will take pleasure and be glorified. Think about that when you hear the prayers today. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. This is God talking through the prophet Haggai. When you brought it home, I blew it away, says God. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruits. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. I called a drought on these things, says God. Hmm, time for a reckoning. Because for 16 years, you've allowed the construction of my temple to lay idle in ruins. And it's interesting to note here that this Hebrew, the Hebrew word for this drought in verse 11, I called for a drought, drought. We all know that means dried up because we have droughts going on now and wildfires and all kinds of stuff. The drought means dried up. I, said God, I called for this drought. And it's the same word in the Hebrew for up there in verse 4 where we saw this temple to lie in ruins. So, okay, my temple lies in ruins, dried up. So I called for dry up on your things, right? And, uh, and so there's the message. Get to work on my temple, build my temple. It's time to get your, and here's the message for us, I should say. It is time to get your priorities straight. That's a message for us from the prophet. Because remember in Ephesians 4, God, Jesus gave the prophets uh, to, uh, 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 to equip us for the work of ministry. Now you've got to think about the consequences of mixed up priorities. How you get your priorities mixed up. Uh, not putting God first, right? And remember Maslow's stuff. Uh, the model is uh, their needs. Human beings have needs and behavior is based on needs. And it goes this way. Uh, a need is a perceived deficiency. I say perceived because sometimes we think we need something that's really a want, right? So uh, people have perceived deficiencies. That's the top of the model. So they set goals. They're not even aware that they do this. Uh, it's not even deliberate sometimes, but it's the way our brain puts our body into motion. We have a perceived deficiency, a need, so we set a goal, and then we engage in 
behavior. That the, the behavior is designed by how our brain is wired to accomplish that goal to satisfy that perceived deficiency, the need. Make sense? So you have a need, you set a goal, you engage in behavior, and remember, behavior is something that uh, behavior is observable and measurable, right? And we see this all the time. If you kind of, like, pay attention to yourself, turn your eyeballs around and look at yourself this week, uh, when you engage in behavior, maybe stop and say, oh, you know, what goal am I trying to achieve here and what need is driving this? What perceived deficiency do I have that is driving this? So we have a need, we set a goal, we engage in behavior, and then the behavior is either successful or it's unsuccessful in achieving that goal to meet that need. So uh, for the unsuccessful behavior, say, oh, you know, I tried to do this, I did that, I put my body in motion and uh, did some things, and it did not help me accomplish that goal. So uh, the, some of the experts say that, uh, you know, uh, a sure sign of insanity is to try something that failed again and it don't work again. So, but anyway, if the behavior does work, it sends feedback up to the brain and tells you, hey, this is working, I'm going to keep doing this. So the trick is to figure out how to make sure you put God in that model as we examine our needs, which is where it all begins, the needs that drive our behavior, that put our bodies into motion. How is this need calibrated, Ken, calibrated? How am I calibrating my needs to do this that we see in verse 8? Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I, said God, that God may take pleasure in it, and be glorified. Okay, so put God in that model. Uh, if your needs are moving you in a direction away from God, don't do the crazy thing and try that behavior again to try to meet that need. Uh, you need to put God in the equation. I've heard, uh, we had a preacher once, it's been a while ago, that uh, kept harping on uh Sorry, I dry up. Preacher that, that uh, sometimes preachers have cryptic messages, and you kind of look around the congregation. He's like, "Who is he talking to?" You know, because yeah, there. I know he's talking to me about a whole lot of things today because I need to hear all this stuff, right? But uh, uh, a preacher is talking about people uh, skipping church to go participate in hockey and things like this, right? And uh, and so it makes you wonder. I sit there and I wonder, who's he talking to? Because I don't, I don't have any idea uh, who's doing that or why or what's going on. But that is an example, you know, um, of, uh, of an, uh, you know, commitment and dedication and how we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith and to test ourselves. And, uh, of course, we could get hundreds of examples. And I'm sure that as I go through this week following my own advice, turning my eyeballs around examining myself, I'll find plenty of things plenty of things in me that need to be recalibrated, putting God back in that equation. And that's the problem these folks were having, right? And so uh, uh, we're going to look real quick at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because we're talking about the construction of the temple, the building of the temple, and we know that today we don't wash it at a temple. We all come to this place, which sometimes we erroneously call the church. Uh, you know, I know it's the church building, but when I'm talking to my wife or I'm talking to one of the kids and say, I'll see you guys at church, right? They know what I mean. They know that I don't think this building is a church. I don't believe that. But it's, you know, it's just how we talk, right? Uh, 
This building is not the church. The people are the church. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, bringing the message of the prophets forward since they were given to us to equip us for the work of ministry and for our unification, as it says there in Ephesians 4, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and look at 16. Do you not know, uh, this is, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, do you not know that you are you? You are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So think on that in relation, specifically in relation to the message in Haggai about the, the, the temple having a foundation. I have a foundation. You have a foundation. Thanks to men like Jesse Kilgore, we have a firm foundation, right? But then you see here, that we are the temple of God now. We don't go to the glorious temple constructed by, uh, you know, our Hebrew friends of old, the Jews. And then look at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll drive the point home here and get back to Haggai. In Ephesians chapter 2, and you got to read verse 19 through 22 where it says, Now therefore you... You like how to say that? Take the word you and turn it into three syllables. I'm putting a lot of emphasis right there. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. Uh, John 15 and 15 says uh, you are no longer slaves because you now have my word in your heart. If indeed you're putting it in your heart, right? But fellow citizens with the saints... And members of the household of God. So first of all, does that describe me? Uh, yes. And like we talked about Sunday evening, since I have been baptized into Christ, I fit that description. I am a fellow citizen with the saints and a member of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together. You are being built, he told the church in Ephesus. You, it, it's, it's in progress. This building of you as part of the temple of God with Jesus as a cornerstone, you are being built See, and sometimes we get arrogant and we think, I've been built. I'm built. That building is built. It's done. And I'm right next to the chief cornerstone going strong. Right? Uh, we, we are being built. That's work in progress. So back to our model of needs, goals, and behaviors, the goals that we set, the behaviors that we engage in to accomplish our needs, how is God in that equation with us? How do we have God in there? Uh, his needs are are my needs calibrated to the needs of God and the needs of the church, like we looked at the other night from First uh, John chapter three and verse sixteen, where it says Jesus gave His life for us, and so how do we respond to that? Comma. Now you give your life to the brethren. That's what it says there. Something to think about. Uh, you know, there the church is kind of pushing a little bit gently. 
elders have to be gentle, right? Because people get upset. So the elders are gently looking for teachers right now. Something to think about when you study Haggai, that kind of thing, right? Uh, there's a need for teachers. And, and there are people out there going, eh, should I? I don't know. Should I teach? Uh, if you don't have experience teaching, if you say, I can't teach, then you can co-teach. Uh, they'll, they'll put you in a classroom with an experienced teacher, and you begin to learn to teach. Think about how blessed we are in this congregation to have so, so many young men up and coming uh, who are so articulate and knowledgeable and so effective at teaching. You know, and when you, when you, I'm not going to say any names because if you mention the names, then you forget one or two, then you can have trouble. But, you know, if I did, I would say things like Maury Mayhew and uh, both Tim and Matt from the Hickman family. And then you got Scott Maston and, and then so many others. Right. But I'm not going to I'm not going to. But I mean, we've got uh, we've got some think about how blessed we are from the lessons that we've heard from so many of our young men and our young ladies that are teaching in the classrooms. Um, so blessed. And let's go ahead and open with a prayer. Most gracious and loving God of compassion and mercy and forgiveness, which we need so often and so much. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity to to call ourselves your children and to be the family of God. And we're so thankful, Father, that all that we have that you have so richly blessed us with, understanding that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. Father, we pray that as you examine our hearts and our lives that you would find us always searching for ways to to use the resources that you've blessed us with for the work of ministry. You've blessed us with so many good things, Father, and so many abilities, Father, and we just pray that uh, that as you examine our lives and as we examine our own lives, Father, that, that we seek ways to please you and bring glory to you as you had commanded your children all the way back there through the prophet Haggai. And bless us today, Father, with this study and strengthen us from the things that we studied here that we might continue to think on these things and to ponder them in our heart like your servant Mary did, Father. And bless us, continue to bless us, Father, in the service of your kingdom, the church. And thank you most of all for Jesus and his precious blood that we made contact with in that watery grave of baptism. Thank you for your forgiveness, Father. And bless us, Father, with, with enduring faith, even unto death. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so, uh, that's kind of the spoiler alert. When you go there to 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16 and Ephesians 2 and 19 through 22, uh, we're the temple now. And it's a work in progress. We're being built. How's it going? How's that work going? Right? Um, and I know also that we're blessed with elders who are continuously focused on that very thing. Uh, shepherding the flock, right, in that direction, uh, equipping us for the work of ministry because they're listed there in Ephesians 4 with the prophets that we get. To, so we've got to make sure we're paying attention to listen. So uh, we're blessed, very blessed here. No satisfaction. Uh, as a Christian, the happiest times from our memories have always been times of faithfulness. Uh, 
in, in my uh, 30, a little more than 30 years as a Christian, I think back to the times that my faith was the strongest. Those are the happiest times of my lives, and that's the way it works for Christians. Walking in the light with God, because we're leaning on Him and not on our own understanding. To the extent to which you keep your head in the Word of God, and that you're actually really trying hard to do the things that uh, that Tony's preaching about and the things that you're reading and studying on your own. God took away the satisfaction produced by these things until they got their priorities straight. And we see that in the second chapter. Have you ever known anyone who either had great wealth or they were very blessed with material things but were never satisfied? Perhaps you felt that way yourself, you know. Uh, I told you I walk through my house and I look at my possessions and I look at how richly blessed I am with this church family uh, and my own family. And I just feel like I, I, I could make it from here on out without ever buying anything other than food for the rest of my life. That's all I need, I think. Just food and toilet paper. So in chapter 1 and verse 14, we see that they finally got to work, Right? And I think it took 24 days, if I'm looking at how they give you the specific dates in the message here, uh, 24 days from when Haggai started after them and then uh, before they said, okay, let's do it, right? Uh, so 24 days, and he probably prophesied at them, you know, uh, kind of like uh, uh, Jonah did, you know, cry out against the great city of Nineveh. So Haggai, I envision Haggai crying out about this for 24 days and then finally they're like, all right, let's get to work. Let's do, he's right. Let's listen to this guy. He's a prophet. And so uh, that would be, uh, you know, in, in our terms, to, to bring that forward into our times, that would be Tony preaching for uh, 24 lessons, I guess, uh, before we do what he says. Uh, and I, I'm not saying Tony's a prophet. You've got to be careful about these things. Somebody will leave here and say, this guy thinks his preacher's a prophet. No, he's a preacher, right? Uh, and so we understand that. So in verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 14, they finally got to work. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high... Okay. The uh, spirit of uh, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the sixth year of King Darius. Okay. Uh, then Haggai comes back about a month later. He sees them working, and he prophesies to them encouragement from God. He's like, all right, it worked. Uh, so look at chapter 2 and verse 4 where he says, Yet now be strong. Remember that be strong part. Yet now, it's like uh, Joshua 1, nine, right? Anyway. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all of you people in the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. So he says there, be strong, be strong, be strong, and work, for I am with you. Says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Work and do not fear. And we already talked about, you know, they had been gone uh, and uh, the remnant was preserved and they came back. And King Darius was interested in the religion of the people, so he allowed them to build their temple. They had a letter from him with permission to do that, which all the people in the surrounding communities that they feared, which is probably a big reason that they delayed the construction for 16 years, uh, so they feared these people, 
around them. And here in verse 5, God says, My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And he reminded them what he did for them when they came out of Egypt, which we're reminded about all the time too. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. Remember Sunday night, we're talking about all nations, uh, beginning with the prophecy there in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3, and then how we went forward to Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 through 18 there, where he says he gave the keys of the kingdom of Peter, and then Luke 24, and I think verse 46 through 49, we looked at how uh, they were told to tarry in Jerusalem and wait until they received power from on high, uh, and God, having told Peter, he'd given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we go to Acts chapter 2, and we see that these things happen. All nations were there, just like I said they would be in Isaiah. All nations were there on the day of Pentecost, and it listed many of them, right? It says here, And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory. Twofold message here. Remember that the prophet's, mes- the prophet's messages were primarily contemporary for the people of that time. So he says, I will fill this temple with glory, said God. So it's not the construction of the building. It's not your work and effort. It's not anything about you or the building. It's about God's presence in that special way, which makes us think about our lives again. Uh, God's presence among us as, as a family, as a church, as a Christian family. Jesus said, these are my kinfolks over here, the folks that are with me, talking about his disciples, right? When he said, your blood, your blood kin are here to see you, right? And so as a church, we think about our, our uh, what do they call it, a uh, nuclear family too. You know, our family at home in the, in the house, our, the paneled houses that we live in, we think about that family. It's not anything about the glory of our house or our possessions or the fact that we're there. It's God's presence in it, Right? Um, and when you're, when you're in the home, do you hear God's presence in the family's home? Do you feel it? And do you see it? You can see things that are in opposition to it, perhaps, through your TV screen, maybe. Uh, you know, make sure that you've got your home set up as a sanctuary where you are sheltered and protected from the world that you must go out into daily. You need to go home and have a holy sanctuary to to build you back up and, and preserve uh, that spirit that is in you because you're, you're a work in progress in the building of the temple, you know. Um, and then down in verse 9, uh, God says through Haggai, the glory of this temple shall be greater than the former. And so you read some things. The temple was destroyed a couple times, it was rebuilt, and then it was smaller and smaller each time. And so people are focused on the appearance of the temple. They're focused on the appearance and the grandeur of it. Uh, and they're focused on the wrong thing. People don't think like God. God says, if the temple were the size of the shed in your backyard, as long as my presence is in it, it is glorified. In verse 9, he says, the glory of this latter temple, which, which to their eyes was, you know, uh, less in many ways. It was, it was subordinate. It was not as appealing as the previous temple. He said, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. He's talking about his presence in it and among them. Says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give you peace, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, wouldn't that be nice, right? To give you peace. And we're so thankful and blessed that we enjoy peace also. Um, 
Okay. And so... Uh, in the final analysis, we see that God cares about his people, about their relationship with him. That's what this is about. And he cares about our commitment, our devotion, and our... Some folks don't like this next word I'm going to say. They're like, whoa, whoa, the Bible's not a list of things that you can't do. You know, it's not a... Well, obedience. Obedience. We talk about obedience unapologetically because God required it of them and he requires it of us. But obey what? Read John fifteen fifteen and look at the word all. All things that I've made known to you. All things. If, if I stop studying this and I only know part of it, then I don't know all things, right? You have to keep striving to keep striving all your whole life because that building of this temple is a work in progress. Obeying God. So since in accordance with Ephesians 4.12, where we keep starting out, Jesus gave us the prophets to equip us for the work of ministry. How do we apply Haggai's teaching for these things we're talking about? The Jews, the returned exiles that we're talking about, had grown slothful and unmotivated. And by the end of chapter 1, had rolled up their sleeves and gotten to work. They got to work, right? They had gotten their priorities straight. So what priorities in my life need to be rearranged where I got them straight? Right? That's, that's what I need to, to get from studying Haggai and the other prophets. So how did God motivate them? Why? Why did he motivate them? And remember, motivate means to move from the Latin word movir or movire, to move, right? He spoke to them through the prophets. That's how he did it here in what we're reading. That's how God moved them. So how is God's word and his will today? Because we don't have prophets prophesying as now. They've served their purpose. We still listen to them and get their lessons from what we're doing right now. But how is God's word and his, therefore his will, same thing, spoken to us today? How is it communicated to us today, right? And uh, that takes us back again to Ephesians 4.12. He gave some to be teachers, evangelists, says uh, pastors there, which uh, we understand means elders, our shepherds, right? And so how are we responding to that, to uh, their communication with us? God requires us to consider. Remember, we kept reading, say, consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways throughout Haggai. So we read and study his word, right? We examine ourselves in comparison to what we're reading, with his word being the standard by which we compare our lives. We heed the messages given through these, and then we meditate on his word. Have you tried that? Read Psalm 119. That'll change, it will, it will change in a very positive way uh, every time you read it, the way you feel about God's Word. Read the whole thing. It's the longest, longest uh, chapter in the Bible, uh, Psalm 119. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful and amazing. And you can think about obedience while you read that. Meditate on those things. Count the number of times. You can highlight them or circle the number of times the word meditate is used in, the, in Psalm 119. It's in there several times. Doesn't mean you have to you know, turn into some kind of weird hippie or anything like that. 
if you're going to meditate on God's Word, read it. You'd be in your recliner at home, right? Because you read and study God's Word more at home than you do here. You're only here for a couple hours a week. And then stop and think about what you're reading and apply it to your life. That's how you meditate on the Word of God, right? Um, and then apply those things. We examine ourselves. Remember 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves constantly to see if you're in the faith. Um, read that parable about the sower and the seeds. And then have an honest moment with yourself and say, which one am I right now? Which, which seed am I? You know, how's it going for me? Uh, am, I, am I doing God's will to glorify him? And then we said that chapter 1 contained a reproof. And then chapter 2, encouragement. Um, and then look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 8 and 9 there. I have to do that song in my head of the kids taught me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts and letter to the Romans. And then find the book. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's why I said make your home a sanctuary. I don't advocate watching the news. These things take your mind in a different direction. When you watch the news, I don't care what flavor... When you watch the news, uh, it won't leave you thinking about these things that we just were told to meditate on. Think about these things. Make, make your home a sanctuary. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do these things. And the God of peace, God wants us to have peace just like he did them through the prophet Haggai, the, the remnant there. He wants us to have peace in Christ also. Uh, but we gotta, we got to guard your heart. Guard your heart. How do our activities, our involvements, and our time management reflect our commitment and dedication to God? My activities, my involvements, the things I'm involved in, my time management, how does it reflect my dedication and commitment to God? How do we spend our money? How do we spend our time? How are we involved in the work of ministry? How do we respond to the needs of the congregation? To the elders, how do we respond to Tony and the good messages that are coming through this microphone up here? Um, we just need to. And so in closing, I would take us back to 1 Corinthians 3.16 and Ephesians 2 and 19. So we'll just go to Ephesians 2 and 19, and we'll close with that. I think the bell's about to ring. Ephesians. Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, you, talking to me, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, baptized believers, having been built on the foundation, you having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, I I like being put into that grouping. Me, I am built on the foundation along with the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the construction of the temple is ongoing even now. And I am 
building material. So what is the quality of the building material? First job I ever had, I was uh, 13 years old, and uh, I worked with stonemasons. Down in Texas, they like to put stone sidings on the houses. So my job was to carry the rocks around, right? Got paid good for a 13-year-old. So I carried these big rocks around, and I mixed the cement and wheelbarrows and then moved the wheelbarrows so the stonemasons could work because these guys were amazing. They worked so fast. And, man, you should see their hands. <laughs> you know, they needed a hand doctor, right? And if I didn't mix that cement right, I'm not going to tell you about how I got chewed out because the building material, the building material, the quality of the building material is the most important thing. And this temple of which we are building stones is under construction. So pay attention to the quality of the building material. And uh, lesson is yours.